because each of the uh, sermons and movie illustrations are separate and stand independent from each other. Our movie for today is obviously Wonder Woman 1984. It was originally scheduled for theatrical release on June 5th, 2020, but it was delayed multiple times and eventually completely canceled due to the pandemic and all the uh, movie theaters being closed down. So the film premiered on December 15th, 2020 on a virtual platform called DC Fandom and Warner Brothers put it out and it actually became the most watched straight to streaming title of 2020. Now, I was really looking forward to this sermon in the sermon series because I love Wonder Woman. And I went back through my photos and I found this picture of Trisha at Trunk or Treat uh, last year dressed as Wonder Woman. And I told everybody a few weeks ago that Pastor Charlotte and I were going to dress like Wonder Woman for your entertainment and our own pleasure. <laughs> but... I decided if I did that, you would not hear a single word that I said the whole time. And so I abandoned that thought. But I wasn't always a Wonder Woman fan. When I was in fourth and fifth grade, the kids at my school called me Amazon. And so the story about Wonder Woman is she comes from an Amazon race of extremely tall women. All I knew about an Amazon at that time was that that meant a really tall woman. And I was taller than my fifth grade teacher. Now, granted, that wasn't that tall. <laughs> she was just really small. I was like, I think it was like five foot four, and I was taller than her. And she knew the other kids made fun of me for being so tall and taller than the teacher. So I had a lot of shame around that. And so she let me decorate all the bulletin boards in our classroom and made it something special that I got to do to help me feel good about myself as, quote, an Amazon. And um, so I was really looking forward, and I watched the movie this week. <laughs> I fell asleep. That's how good it is. So I hate to even say this. To, I don't know what happens online when people hear you say, I wouldn't watch this movie if I was you, because I loved the first movie so much, and it was so good. And the anticipation, I think sometimes that happens when you think something's going to be great, and then it's not. You're just that much more disappointed. Um, but I met an eight-year-old boy this week. He told me he loves the movie, and he thinks we should all watch it. So there you go. If you're an eight-year-old boy, you might love it. But So I posted on social media this week a picture of my Wonder Woman zip drive uh, watching me write my sermon. I have collectibles. My mother was the first one who kind of shared with me that Wonder Woman was a warrior and that she stood for peace and justice and truth. And so she helped move me from shame to pride about being a tall, proud woman. And so she bought me over the years, because she was an antique dealer, of course, she bought me uh, memorabilia for Wonder Woman. So I have a few of those things in my office. I have the encyclopedia of the secret history of Wonder Woman that's to me, fascinating, um, but I don't know if everybody else would feel that way. But Pastor Charlotte and I chose this movie because in that opening scene where she's dressed in gold and she's a little girl, she's competing against all the other women in this kind of Olympic race kind of thing, the 
she um, actually, a couple of weeks ago, do you remember, I preached on looking backward and how that slows you down and you shouldn't do that. And so she's in the lead of this race and she turns around to look backward. She's riding a horse and she hits a tree and it knocks her off. And so she figures out a way to get back on the horse, but at the end, she didn't win because the coach didn't allow her because she had cheated and she hadn't completed the race in the way that the other warrior women had. And her coach says to her, you don't know what you were learning until you come out on the other side. And we were like, oh, that'll preach, right? So often we don't know what's gonna happen but we learn so much on the way. And then, and then later we look back and we go, oh, now I get it, God. And so today in, in our scripture from Hebrews, we consider this relationship between our hope and our faith. What are we hoping for? What are the things on the other side, the unseen that we haven't even considered? You may not have realized it, but this letter to the Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people in Rome, and they were under threat of persecution. So it's a letter of encouragement to the people who are living in fear and, and despair. Their faith in God is what keeps them going through these difficulties in life. It offers us and them something to hold on to in the uncertainty of our daily lives that can sometimes feel so fragile. So the Greek word for faith, and since this is Faith United Methodist Church, you might want to remember this, is pistis. And Paul uses a lot in his writings, especially to the letters in Rome. He, like in Romans, he used this word 30 times in that one letter. But in Greek mythology, oh, I read in Feasting on the Gospel that this word, pistis, that we don't have issue with at all, had some checkered past in the culture of the early church. You see, in Greek mythology, pistis was one of the spirits who escaped Pandora's box and fled back to heaven and abandoned humanity. And so in the Hellenistic culture of Rome, people would have known this story and the people, the Hebrew people who had moved to a belief in a Messiah, a Messiah who had been executed and died and then risen again, they had the anticipation that Jesus was coming back any day now. Unlike us who, who might say Jesus is coming back, but we don't expect it tomorrow. They had been living with this understanding that Jesus was coming back any day. And so this letter is written to these folks who are discouraged. I think that, especially in the last couple years, we understand what it's like to be discouraged. Um, and so here in chapter 11, we get this new description of what faith is. Faith gives substance to the things that cannot be seen yet. These are the things that we hope for. Hope has been described as powerful. It can move people to places they never considered. It can gather groups of people to stand up and unite for things that matter. It motivates, it inspires. It gives us a view that is beyond our own horizon. And so the rest of this chapter in Hebrews, chapter 11, 
has this phrase, in faith, in faith. And then it lists all these witnesses of things that were done in the name of faith. So the message, this is the paraphrase for the same scripture. It says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. By faith, we see the world called into existence by God's word and what we see created by what we don't see. I love this idea that our faith is a firm foundation. When we do confirmation, we talk about how confirmation is not the end of something, it's the beginning the beginning of laying this firm foundation where they let go of the things that maybe they don't believe and then they define the things that they do believe. They take ownership of their own faith and that is what they build on. And so um, German theologian and biblical scholar Jordan Moltmann, he describes it like this. He says, hope comes from the spark of life within you, the more you love, the more you hope. The more you hope, you experience life, good life and bad life, success and failure, but that's life. Isn't that beautiful? Whether you think of your faith as a firm foundation or a spark of life, we are invited to participate in God's hope for the world. And this assurance or conviction comes from our relationship with the holy. In contrast, our movie for today, which you'll probably never see because I told you how bad it is, Wonder Woman 1984, its hope comes from selfish desire. It even um, makes Wonder Woman uh, make a wish for something that she should not have wished for, and then she refuses to give it up. So she herself is tempted by her own selfish desire. Now, one of the things that I really did like about the movie is that the evil villain, because of course there always has to be one in a superhero movie, he looks like a regular guy. He doesn't wear any weird costume or makeup or crazy hair. You couldn't pick him out in a crowd. And so the one who is the evil villain looks just like us. So he steals this ancient artifact that gives people their wishes, grants them wishes, and then he leads the world to self-destruction. And he asks people to wish for things, and they don't know it. And so he guides them on this agenda where he himself gains power and wealth. And you find out in little glimpses in the movie that he came from a home environment where he felt unworthy and unloved. And so he has this desperate need to prove himself. But then you have this little guy that's his kid who just wants to hang out with his dad, wants to be with his dad. And he Near the end, he says to his dad, you don't need to make me proud. I love you because you're my father. 
So often, we let shame or despair or fear drive out the hope that we have in our faith and in our lives. Those who are professionals in advertising and politics, they know that fear is a great motivator of people. And so they use this understanding to emotionally manipulate folks to buy things or to uh, behave in a certain way. We have to be careful about what we participate in. We can be on a diet of fear and anxiety and that affects our ability to hope, or we can be on a diet of things that give us joy, that lead us to the holy, that offer hope. That way, we don't easily fall into despair. Moltmann goes on to say, because there is so much despair in the world, I hope. I proclaim hope in spite of despair, Christ is the hope of the despaired. Despair presupposes hope. It is the ruins of hope that let us despair. As Christ dies, we are reborn to hope out of sadness and despair. On those days when we are mired in despair, we have to trust God. We have to stand firm on our foundation or nurture the spark of joy that is the hope that we live with. In theological terms, this is called assurance. In the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms, assurance is defined as divinely given confidence that one has received salvation. Assurance, faith, hope. These are the words of confidence that help us with our spark of life, that keep us going in the darkness and despair on those days when we find it hard to keep going. John Wesley wrote about how the witness of a person's life is the reflection of their assurance. And then Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about what he called cheap grace, meaning someone has accepted salvation, proclaimed their belief, but there is no witness in their life that anything has changed or that they are seeking a life that is aligned with the things of God. When I was a youth pastor, I would always ask the kids this question, if you were being brought up on charges for being Christians, could they find enough evidence in your room to convict you? Is there a witness? This free gift called grace is where we accept this love and forgiveness that Jesus offers us. As a result of being changed by grace and assurance of the things we are hoped for, these are the things that God hopes for. The hard part about this is we never reach the finish line. There is no goal line to cross. That sanctification, this process of questioning and wrestling and learning and reading, all of those things that help us grow in our faith never end. We never get to say, I'm done with that. I've learned everything there is to know about God, right? I mean, you think, Pastor Charlotte and I have gone to seminary, but we still talk about all the things we don't know. It's like the more you know, the less you know. I often say, 
that we have to keep wrestling to earn our limp. That is sanctification. This constant yearning and growing and learning and pushing ourselves and hoping for what is next. To take us back to Wonder Woman, she has chosen to give her life to helping other people. Her life is a witness to the fact that she cares about justice and peace and truth. She talks a lot about truth. We have to consider what is our life giving witness to, to those who are looking at us from the outside? What do they see in us? What does our speech and our actions lead them to believe about who we are and what we believe? Are we truly reflecting a life that is filled with grace, that is hopeful, that stands on a firm foundation of faith? On those days when we struggle, or even struggle to believe in God at all, our assurance is the thing that kicks in and keeps us going. The many, many ways that we have been impacted by God, the ways, the stories that we can tell, the witnesses we've seen of those people in our lives, those are the nourishment for our assurance. When I was trying to think of an example of this, I really struggled. But when John and I were first married, I was right out of college, and I was doing all these interviews, but I didn't have a job yet. And of course, we had our first apartment together, and we were combining all our bills. And John's family had been excommunicated from the church when he was 10 years old, and he hadn't been back. And when we started dating, he knew that was a non-negotiable for us, so he was back in church. But I had this, and you could call it stupid, you could call it privilege, you could call it assurance, or even faith, because I kept saying, everything will be okay. And he was like, how do you know that? And then we would get this random check in the mail from somebody from my hometown who heard I'd graduated from college, and they'd send me a gift, and that bill we thought we couldn't pay would suddenly be covered. And I just, I said, I don't know, but I just have this faith that everything will be okay. That is the conviction of faith, of assurance. And yeah, I had it in that moment, but I can't say I've always had it, or I've never doubted, or I've never said, ah, how are we going to do this? But at that time, I said, yes, everything will be okay. And other times in my life, I've said, yes, everything is going to be okay. This is the assurance that we get when we hope for something and we have faith that it will be okay. It's so hard to follow God when we are unsure about what is next. But like Diana's coach said to her, you don't know what you're learning until you come out on the other side. God is teaching us and leading us, and sometimes we cannot see where in the world we are going, but we will come out on the other side. I love it. This whole 
sentence paragraph makes me think about that old Garth Brooks songs, I thank God for unanswered prayers. So often we think we know what is best and we pray for God to get on board with our plan, right? Because we've got this under control. We just need God to follow along and it doesn't really work that way. How many times does God pray, I wish they would get on board, right? We have to have the assurance and the faith in the unseen to get us through on the days when we cannot do it on our whole, our own. This hope is powerful. It can give us the spark of our lives. I invite you to consider this as we let God lead us by faith and hope as we say the prayer that Jesus taught us saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.